0: All right. Sure. Can you turn me a little bit down? It's, it's like I'm, I'm hearing too much for, of myself. I'm already feeling sorry for you guys. So. Let's turn our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And we'll continue our study of this epistle today. I hope... Going through this has been as much of a blessing, or at least as much of a blessing, as it has to me studying it. When you prepare for a lesson or a sermon such as this, you try to immerse yourself within the text, within the context and everything going on there, and then you try to bring out some practical application that you can take home with you and actually apply in your life, and today's sermon is no different, Um, but I must say it... May not apply to every single person sitting here today. Uh, as you will see as we as we are going through the text. Or at least it won't apply equally to everybody. Um, this text that we're going to look at today specifically focuses on um, how an uns or rather how a saved husband or wife can win their unsaved spouse to Christ. So you can see how that doesn't necessarily apply to everybody. <laughs> Alright. But I think there, that there is still a lot to learn, even if you are married and you are blessed enough to be married to somebody that is a believer and that is as fired up for Christ or even more as you are. Um, and then it, this might also give you some, something to help somebody else with, because there are people, <laughs> and there are some of them sitting here, that, that has a spouse that doesn't necessarily believe the same way they do. So, the question becomes, what do I do about that? How, how should I react and all of that? So we've got a lot to cover today. So I think let's just start there, reading in verse 1. And we'll just read our text and then we'll pray. So 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Peter writes, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste chaste conversation, coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, whenever we approach your word, we need your help. And so we ask for your help today to come and speak to us. Lord, as you've spoken to me throughout preparing this sermon, I ask that you will please keep on working in my heart and work in all of our hearts. Lord, so that we may hear what you want us to do about this and that we may be changed Uh, to be more like you. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you that we can know that you are right here today. Even though we may not see you, we may not be able to touch you, but Lord, we know you're here because you said you will be. And we praise your name for that. Thank you for all that you do. And thank you. Amen. All right. So Peter starts off this, this chapter by saying, likewise, likewise. Now, whenever you see that word, likewise, or therefore, or anything like that, you need to know what came before that (laughs) so that you can understand what goes after that, all right? Um, And that is always the case. You know, the fact that we have a... Maybe in your Bible you have a big number three there, mine says chapter three where it starts the chapter. The fact that we have that doesn't mean that, well, all of a sudden we're starting something brand new, all right? Um, I don't know about you, but when a new... uh, chapter starts like this, you know, I sort of have to fight the urge not to press the reset button <laughs> in my head to start with a clean slate, you know, because you, you sort of have this idea that, okay, it's a new chapter, it's new things, it has almost nothing to do with the previous things, and that's, that's not the case, uh, you know, so much so that I've actually I say, conditioned my to not even look at the numbers anymore. I don't look at the chapter or verse definitions when I'm reading the Bible because I want to get all of it. I don't want, um, you know, something else messing me up. That's my problem. It might not be your problem. (laughs) But maybe it helps some of you. I don't know. But we, we need to always keep the context in mind as we are reading the Bible. It's so important. I mean, I think we hear that all the time. Context, context, context. You always need to keep the context. And so right here, we know that Peter has been teaching in chapter 2 and, and, um, about how to live, act, and think as a Christian in a world that is increasingly hostile against Christians or against Christianity. Um, They can even be openly hostile and violent towards Christians, as was the case for the original um, recipients of this epistle. Now, in chapter 2, verse 13 to 17, he taught about how a Christian should live in civil society and how he should be submitting to the government and their ordinances. And then there, in chapter 2, verse 18 to 25, he taught about how a believer should conduct himself in the workplace and how he should be submitting himself or putting himself in subjection to his boss or bosses. Now, these are the areas that we've already covered. We've already studied that. But bear in mind that our submission does not depend on the government or our bosses uh, to treat us fairly or justly. It's not dependent on that or anybody else for that matter. We don't need to be treated justly in order to actually obey the word. You get that? We should submit because that's what God expects from us. <laughs> Simple as that. And that is the example that Jesus set for us. And we looked at that, uh, when was it, two weeks ago when I, when I was uh, preaching the last time. And like we've said before, the boundary for, for the submission is anything that is not sinful. You don't have to submit to an authority that is placed over you when they expect you to sin. But anything besides that, well, of course you need to submit. But you are not expected to sin. I I just want to make that clear. all right? And then here in chapter 3, verse 1 to 7, we just read that Peter teaches how a married Christian should behave so that they can win their spouse to Christ. And what a blessing that would be. And then lastly... um, if the Lord wills, we'll look at this next week, but uh, verse 8 and 9, he teaches about how a local church should operate, which is also very beneficial. And so when he says likewise here in chapter 3, or in verse 1, he is tying this context to the context of chapter 2. And so he says that just like a Christian should submit to the government, and just like he should submit to his employer, in the same way, Likewise, in the same way, wives need to submit to their husbands, their own husbands. Now, before anybody gets upset, <laughs> all right, and think that, that the men, you know, that, that God used to write these things were a bunch of chauvinists and they didn't care about women and all of that, I'd like to point out that if you submit, in whatever context, it, it, uh, it doesn't mean that you are morally intellectually or spiritually inferior to the person that you are submitting to. We need to make that very clear. In fact, you may actually be stronger in those areas than the person that you are submitting to, but God designed these roles for us um, because he, he knew it was necessary for our well-being. An example that I found useful in illustrating this is a military commander. You know, that man may have a superior um, rank, but he doesn't necessarily have a superior character than those soldiers that he is commanding. Okay? I, I, I think you know that, that makes sense. But these soldiers should nevertheless follow that man and they should obey every single order that he gives, because he is the commander. That's it. Finish him klar, you know, that's it. In fact, it is a vital role. That commander p- performs a vital role that, um, that must be fulfilled so that the unit itself can fulfill its purpose at the end of the day. Otherwise, it's just going to be a mess. And the same goes for the roles within a marriage. The wife is not inferior to the husband. all right, But she has been given a very specific role in that she should be in subjection to the, he- to the headship. Of the husband. And we see that time and time again in the Bible. And that role is not any less or more important than the role of the husband. In fact, it is a vital role to ensure that that union of the marriage works correctly. It's crucial. Now, notice that Peter says, and I'll turn your eyes back to verse 1. He says, likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. And I love that he put it in there because that, that actually gives us boundaries to where this submission should start and end. You know, as a wife, you need to submit to your own husband. That's it. You don't have to submit to all men everywhere and in every context. Okay? But the Bible never says that. In fact, every time that we read this instruction in, in Scripture that a wife should be subject to her husband, it always says your own husband. Every single time. Go check it out. It's, it's, it's actually quite amazing. But it makes sense. And that makes it consistent. That puts the boundaries down you. You know, this, this points us to the, to the correct design of marriage that God gave us. You know, we find that in, or it's spelled out, rather, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. I'll just read that for you. Paul says there, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ... And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. So we, we've got a structure here. We, where the wife should submit to her own husband. And the husband should submit to Christ. That is the correct design uh, for what a marriage should, should look like. And that's, that's how it should be. But unfortunately we know that it's, it's not always the case, is it? Um, it doesn't always work out that way. It... it it does also happen that two unbelievers, for instance, get married and then one of them gets saved. So now what do you do? <laughs> what do you do about that? And you know, in the time that this was written, something like that was especially pro- problematic. If a woman became a Christian without her husband also becoming a Christian, it could actually be a great embarrassment to him. Not only that he would get teased, but he, he would get mocked everywhere. Oh, you know, your wife is a Christian, this and that, you know, and, and, and all of that. So it was a great embarrassment to him, because no woman ever did that. It just didn't happen in the culture. I, I read a quote w- while I was studying this, that came from back then, which read, women must remain indoors and obey their husbands. <laughs> That's what they thought about women. That, that, that's, that's what they thought and, and so if they became a Christian without their husband I, I think you can just start to imagine the kind of abuse that they would open themselves um, to and, and that was common in those days the, the men would abuse their wives quite a lot and they, some of them would even go so far as to kill them with no legal recourse there was no law against that she's your wife, she's yours And so you can see that it can cause a problem for a wife uh, to start to obey this Jesus that she just won't shut up about, (laughs) you know. So what should she do? Should she just leave this man? Because he's an unbeliever. I mean, I'm I'm a child of God now. Should she leave him? No. That's 1 Corinthians 7, by the way, uh, where Paul says that that a woman who has an unbelieving husband uh, should not divorce him. You know, if he is willing to stay with her, she should, shouldn't divorce him or leave him. So what should she do? Him. <laughs> or should she start to plaster, you know, Bible verses all over the house and on his car, on his lunchbox and all of that? Is that what, he should, what she should do? Well, no. <laughs> Peter doesn't tell, tell her to do anything like that. So what is the solution? Well, verse 1, Submit. Be in subjection to him. Even though you are now a child of God, you still have your God-given role within that marriage of yours. Be in subjection to him. Well, why? Well, he says there, um, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Here comes the reason that if any obey not the word, they also may without be won by the conversation of the wives. They may actually be one <laughs> without the wife even saying a word. They may be one to Christ. So, and that, that's only by the way that you behave. And That's the point here. Folks, as a Christian, whether you're a husband or wife or child or whatever you may be, a student, not married, whatever, you are on a mission. Our mission is to win people to Christ. That's it. It doesn't matter what context you live in. It doesn't matter where you find yourself. We should win people to Christ. If you want to win people in society to Christ, well, then be a great, submissive citizen. If you want to win your boss to Christ, well, be a great, submissive employee. If you want to win your husband to Christ, well, be a great, submissive wife. Peter talks here about husbands... That that do not obey the word. So these are guys that are not saved, you know, they have they have no desire to do with Christ. You know, these are men that some of them will openly reject the gospel and just be against it, be against Christ and all of that. But for some of them it may not be an action at all. Perhaps they are just indifferent to it. You know? They they just don't really care. Some of you may be sitting here today, just I don't really care about Christ. And Peter says that while they do not obey the word, they may be one without the word. So without the wife even saying a single word. How? Well, he, he says there at the end, by the conversation of the wives. Now, I briefly explained this last time, but this conversation is not two people, you know, actually conversing. Um, this is the behavior of the wife, the way that she lives the way that she conducts herself. So the wife can use a gentle, loving, submissive attitude towards her husband as a way to actually win him to Christ. Now obviously somebody needs to hear the gospel to finally get saved. Peter already acknowledged that in chapter 1 verse 23 and and we've got a great explanation from Paul in Romans chapter 10 about that. And and Paul... um, Finally, summed it up there in Romans 10, verse 17, by saying, So then, faith, excuse me, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So you need to hear the word, you actually need to hear the gospel being explained to you to actually get saved at the end of the day. So the way that I understand this is that the husband here is disobedient to the word, all right? He wants nothing to do with Christ, and uh, it almost irritates him that his wife so devoted to the Lord. She's definitely not the exact same person that he married X amount of years ago. You know, because, well, she's now born again. She's received a new nature. But he doesn't understand that. He's not saved. He has no idea how that works. And so, when he sees the way that she treats him, you know, by submitting to him in love, and, well, look at verse 2. He says, While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Behold, they see it. So it, it, it's all about the way that the wife behaves, <laughs> that, she, that she conducts herself, not just towards him, but also towards the kids, towards her friends, towards her fellow believers, towards, the boss, towards strangers um, or anybody else. It has to do with the way that she handles disappointments, failures and fears. It has to do by the way that she, she spends her money. Basically every part of her life. You see, when, and, and those of you that are married here today, you can attest to that. Your husband or your wife sees every part of you. They see the good days and they see the bad days and they see the really bad days, you know. And Christians have bad days, right? Of course we do. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, brother. We, we have bad days. But you know what makes the difference? It is in how you handle that bad day. Yeah, sure, every, you know, every once in a while you maybe lose your temper or something happens, you know, but what do you do after that? We actually had a great converse, uh, or, or discussion about that in a small group, I think it was last week, um, about this. How do you you handle that? Or how do you handle yourself? Because that's going to determine your testimony at the end of the day. Not just before the world, before the people outside your house, but also the people inside your house. And then when the Christian wife shows her godly behavior in every circumstance, she can actually win her husband to Christ. But you've heard what I just said. It doesn't mean you need to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. And Trust me, your husband knows. <laughs> he knows. You can fool us, but he knows. Or your wife knows, man. Your, your wife knows. But to win him to Christ um, actually means that, you know, he may not be so su- opposed to the Lord anymore. He, he may actually start to get interested, you know, because he's seeing these changes and, and he's seeing, you know... <laughs> Whatever he's doing, he's seeing how how, how wonderful you're treating him, how wonderful you're acting in a godly way. And you may actually finally get an opportunity to explain the gospel to him. And maybe or not, you know, or, or perhaps he actually can get saved at the end of the day. So you see how that works. That the way that a believer behaves in secret or in public actually helps to make this message of salvation believable. It, 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 does a, you know, it, it goes a great way in that. Now, Peter specifically mentions the husband seeing your chaste conversation. You saw that there in verse 2. Your chaste conversation. What that basically means is you that know, that is what chaste means. And, and that is a very fundamental part of being married, isn't it? You know, when you got married, and for those of you that are not married... <laughs> You, you need to be aware of this. When you got married, you tied yourself to that person. You tied yourself. There, there, there's no going back from, the, from that. And you need to be aware of that, that there's just no way that you can put them away, you know, simply because they're not saved. Oh, well, I got saved. I'm a child of God now. Cheers, John. <laughs> you know, and you go off. It just doesn't work that way. And that goes for the men, too all right? Don't, don't fool around. Just don't do that. Don't, don't, don't start to flirt with people, you know, just here and there because, well, you, you find it exciting or fun or whatever it may be. Um, if so, you need to repent. Um, you need to be faithful to your husband or your wife, whether they're saved or not. You need to be faithful. But if we are talking about a woman with an unbelieving husband, then you need to be faithful to that husband And you need to show him respect. That's what he means there with coupled with fear. You need to show him the due respect. You know, don't break his trust in you. Because if you do, it's going to be very hard to actually win him to Christ. As you can imagine. Now at this point, I just want to add a side note. Ladies, if you have a godly husband, somebody that honestly follows after God, thank God for that. That's not a given. You know, not everybody has that. Thank God for that. You know, your behaviour towards your husband, whether he, uh, you know, if he's saved as well, actually goes a long way to help him get closer to God. It makes a huge difference. So, so I want to see the applica, or, or, or I want you to see the application of this text, not only in the context of well, I've got an unsaved husband. Well, what do I do if I have a saved husband? The same goes. The same goes. Look at verse 3. He continues saying, Who is adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on apparel. Now, this is one of those verses that I've heard causes some difficulty for people. You know, if, if you take this verse, you rip it out, stick it against the wall, then you can certainly make it say that, well... Women shouldn't comb their hair. They shouldn't put on any makeup. You know, wear nice dress or anything like that. You know, they should basically look like those dirty cave women that you see in the movies. You know, Um, some people almost try to make that case, but context. Let's read on. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So remember the context. This is a Christian woman that wants to win her unbelieving lost husband to Christ. So how do you do that? Well, first we saw, be in subjection to him. Secondly, be faithful to him and respect him. Because he is your husband. And third, to not be so preoccupied with your outward appearance you know, that you never work on your own heart. That's the point here. You see, the Bible doesn't forbid wear, women wearing nice clothes, or putting on makeup, or wearing jewelry, or whatever you women like to do. <laughs> forbid it At all, never. But the problem is when you are so focused on that part of it that you leave the most out. That's where the problem. Is. You know, in the Greek and Roman culture, the the women actually devoted themselves to to make themselves beautiful. It, it that was what they did. I mean, we, I read you that uh, that quote to you earlier. You know, they should just stay at home and obey their husband. So what do you do if you're just hanging up? They devoted themselves to it, and and from what I've read, you know, saying they devoted themselves sounds like an understatement. Um, these women would wear the best jewelry best cosmetics. They, they would color their hair all sorts of colors. We were chatting about that as we drove up to church this morning. That's nothing new. You know, all these outlandish colors or nice colors, whatever, that's nothing new. They, they did all of that. They braided their hair in all sorts of fancy styles. You know, that's the plating that, that uh, Peter refers to. And they spent fortunes on their clothes. Absolute fortunes. Not much has changed, has it? <laughs> All right. And I realise that I may get in trouble for this, but maybe, maybe not. I don't know. You can find me there after the service. I'll be over there. <laughs> All right. But it would seem as if this thing, you know, is a very real temptation for men. You know, to try and look beautiful. I can't say I understand that. I'm a man, thank God. But folks, listen. <laughs> There is no problem with a wife wanting to look beautiful to her husband. Absolutely no problem. Read Song of Solomon and you'll see that. In fact, being a husband myself, I actually enjoy it if my wife makes herself pretty for me and wants to look beautiful. I enjoy that. And that is fine, but you need to keep in mind that that physical beauty is not going to last. By the time you turn... This is where the trouble comes in. But... Let's just face the facts here. By the time you turn 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 plus, you will look a whole lot different than you looked when you were 20. Isn't that true? You do. <laughs> All right. That's not an insult. Okay. I'm so glad we don't have stones here. <laughs> you will do well to st- spend much more time on the hidden man of the heart than your physical appearance. That's that's much better time spent. That, true beauty lies. You know, putting on a bunch of makeup and works You know, you can't cover the blemish of an ugly heart with makeup. You just can't do that. And you can't make somebody beautiful, uh, or, or, or somebody that has a beautiful heart, even more beautiful. Doesn't do that, <laughs> right? Somebody with a beautiful heart and with a meek and quiet spirit, as Peter says here, tends to be beautiful on the outside as well. Even though they may not conform to the standards, you know, the quote-unquote standards that the magazines put out for TV and the movies and all of that. Even though they don't look like that woman, that's much more beautiful. It's so much more beautiful to have or, or to see a woman that has a beautiful heart, someone chasing after God, and honestly trying to do what He says to do. And that is, some, that is beauty that will never fade. Ever. And to top it off, as He says here, let's read that. At the end of verse 4, He says, sight of God, what? Of great price. God notices that. And He finds that precious that is amazing now let me just say please don't confuse the matter here okay and think that you are somehow more spiritual if you just don't care about your outward appearance at all that's not the, okay it's about putting the emphasis where it should be that's the important part if you put more time into your makeup than your heart well that's an issue I thought about a test that you can do, you know. Time yourself. How much time do you spend before, in front of the mirror? Okay, write that down. Once you're done, go through your day. You know, whenever you start to read your Bible or, or pray or teach your kids about Christ, start a timer again. At the end of the day, count up the numbers and see where you spend most of your time. That will give you an idea of where the balance is at in your life. But as we, as we see from this text, it should be heavily skewed towards working to the, um, you know, on, the in, on the inner man. It's about putting the emphasis where it needs to be. Look at verse 5. And this is, yeah, look at verse 5. For after this manner, in the old time, the, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. So after this manner, they adorned themselves. So this give, gives women an example to follow which is great, because if we just say these things, you know, you, you need some sort of model that you can look at to say, okay, I see, I should, I should try to be more like that. I'm, you know, I've got, got some work to do on my heart. Now, who are these holy women that he, what, that he talks about? Well, they were believers, the, the believers that we read about in the Old Testament, the, the women of that time. They trusted in God, and so Peter is making the point that this is not some kind of, New revelation that he's bringing out here. It's, it's not something new. Uh, the godly women that lived in, in the Old Testament times also, like he says, they adorned themselves, they decorated themselves by being in subjection unto their own husbands. They did that, so that's a great example that you can follow. So, what can you do? Well, go and study those women. <laughs> you've, you've got a book full of them. Go, go and study them, see how they acted. See you know, see where the good, good parts are and the bad parts, avoid the good parts you can you can grab a hold of. Now a name that Peter specifically mentions here is Sarah. And we will look at that when we get to verse 6. But I wanted to mention that along of, uh, along with all of the examples that you can find in the Bible of godly women and how they treat their husbands and, and so on, you can also find women in the church that are great uh, examples of how to be a godly wife or a godly not a wife. There are so many examples of that even in our church, especially in our church. There are many godly women here. You may even find some of them have gone, you know, previously in their life they've gone through the same type of thing that you're going through. Or somebody that can tell you stories of how God used their testimonies To win him, or to win their husbands to Christ, you know. So get to know the ladies in the church, and I would say, especially try to get to know the older ladies in the church. Now that presents a problem, you know. If you're already an older lady, who do you get to know? (laughs) All right, older ladies. You can get to know the younger ladies. And you can pass on, some, pass on some wisdom, some things that life taught you to them. And that's not just something I, you know, <laughs> lick my fingers, tuck it in the wind and say where the ideas come from. It's biblical. Go and read Titus 2. I'll let you go and read that when you get, your, when you get home. But that's Titus 2. Let the older woman teach the younger women. Look at verse 6. He says here, Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord... That sounds cool, <laughs> doesn't it? Calling him Lord. I thought that was a great idea. So yesterday, what I... <laughs> what I <laughs> you see where I'm going? Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I, I... You know, I, I, I like to ask Pietra some advice on the sermons, you know. Uh, sometimes I let her go through all my notes and just give me some advice and so on. Um, and so yesterday we spoke about the sermon and I, I read these verses to her. And I came to this, and I thought, uh, you know, I thought, okay, let me test my wife. I want to see if she's a godly woman. <laughs> so I told her, you know, there it is. You probably should call me Lord or Master. You, you know, she basically, you, you guys who are married, you know the look. You know. I, I can't even mimic it, but she gave me the look. Um, <laughs> pray for me. <laughs> oh, <please. laughs> All right. But let's read the entire verse. Context. <laughs> Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. The point he's making here is that Sarah was, is a model of How to be in subjection to your husband. She called him Lord, doesn't mean that you need to call your husband Lord, okay? Uh, please don't <laughs> stone me today. Um, but you don't need to call your husband Lord. It, the fact that she did that just shows she respected him. That was their way of showing it. You should have your way to show it. You should respect your husband, you should be in subjection to him. And she, uh, a woman like Sarah, showed you or showed us how, to, how that is done. He continues there or uh, well, he says there in verse 6 even as Sarah obeyed Abram calling him Lord whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well. You know you're following in her footsteps means by you're his daughter or her daughters rather if, if you do well. Concentrate on doing well you know following the example doing what God said here in the Word, you're following in those footsteps and you may actually win your husband to Christ by doing that without even saying a word. I, th- I find that amazing because I think we tend to think that well, the more I say, <laughs> you know, the more will happen. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Now That, that, that was the address to... Wives. Now verse seven um, Peter turns his attention to husbands. He says, Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honour unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now this is great, I think that he also gave husbands something to do, because if you find yourself in a marriage where you are the saved one and your wife is not saved, well, what do you do? Now, sure, that's not something that happens a lot. You know, it's, it's mostly the other way around, but it does happen. It does happen. So, as husband, what do I do? Well, did you see verse 7 starts off with likewise again? Likewise. So, just like the way, the way that wives should submit, husbands should submit as well. Now, a Christian husband doesn't submit to the leadership or the headship of his wife, okay? That's not the way that it works. But we should submit to the needs of our wives. We need to be sensitive to our wives' needs, to their fears, to their feelings. A Christian husband is supposed to place his wife's needs before his own, even if she is not a Christian. Peter says that husbands should dwell with them according to knowledge. That you see there? Likewise, he, husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, which basically means to be considerate you know, towards her and to be sensitive to her physical and emotional needs. A husband is supposed to cherish his wife and to love her and to give himself to her. You know, that was what Paul meant in Ephesians, uh, what was it, 5, verse 25, where he says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Just like Jesus gave himself for the church, we should give our wives. Now next, Peter continues here by saying, Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Guys, brag on her. (laughs) Brag on your wife, you know. I've sit, I've sat in conversations with with men, married men, you know, in certain contexts, where just for hours, it was hours on end. They would just complain about their wives, make jokes about their wives, and all of. That. I find that detestable, uh, personally. You know, you should respect your wife. If 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 you don't have anything good to say, you know. My wife always says, just say nothing. Or was that my mom? I don't know. But (laughs) Both. If you don't have anything good to say, say nothing. When you talk about her, just tell people how great she is. Tell them. You know, when you speak to her, do it with respect. She's your wife. Honor her, not only with your words, but also with your deeds. Show her that you honor her. Maybe that's something we can implement today. Show your wife that you honor her, that you respect her, that you actually love her. And then it refers to the wife uh, here as the weaker vessel, because women are generally weaker than men, physically and emotionally. And so when the husband honors her, he needs to keep that in mind, because that will inform him on how he can honor her, and how he should treat her, and all of that. Now, lastly, the husband should keep in mind, he says there, uh, as being heirs together of the grace of life. Now, to keep this short, he, he doesn't mean it is, the, it is eternal life. Why? Well, content. we're talking about a husband with a lost wife and he wants to win her to Christ, okay? So this grace of life can't be eternal life. It must mean the marriage itself, you know? Marriage is a great gift of grace that the Lord gives some of us in this life. It doesn't matter what you think about the giver of the gift, you know, whether you are saved or not, he's gracious enough to bestow the saved people and lost people alike. But you should keep in mind that that your wife has received that gift with you. You didn't receive it by yourself, you didn't earn it by yourself. It was grace. Grace is something that, you know, you get that you don't deserve. You didn't work for it, like being saved. <laughs> you, you can't get it with works. Well, the same way, this, this gift of the grace of life, it's not something you can, you can earn in any way. And so the husband must, must keep that in mind, you know, that the marriage that he has is a gift from God himself that he gave to both him and his wife. And then at the end... Peter gives a warning to, uh, you know, with all of this. He says that your prayers be not hindered. Your prayers can actually be hindered if you don't treat your wife right. That, that's not a great thought, is it? <laughs> and some of you may be experiencing that you know, in this time perhaps. Maybe, maybe it's time to go and check if you're treating your wife right. You know, why is God not answering my prayers? How are you treating a wife? Maybe that's something you can take home with you. You know, that just goes to show how seriously the Lord takes this gift that He gives to husbands and wives. How seriously He takes this grace of life. It is a wonderful gift, and I hope if you are married today that you can attest to that as well. So, all right, let's get to the bottom line here. What is that? Well, if you are married, that is not saved, well, you can win them to Christ by living a life as a Christian should. I didn't say as a good Christian should, because, well, a Christian should live one way, and we find that in the Word. Maybe it's time to get back to, the, to, to find the word again. Brother Armand, as, as he w- had a wonderful sermon about that earlier today. But it's that simple. It's actually that simple. It's not a guarantee, ladies, men. It's not a guarantee that you will win your husband to Christ or your wife to Christ. It, 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 I think it exponentially increases the chances of doing so. Because you're not putting a stumbling block in front of them. It's that simple and it's that important. Let's keep that in mind. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I find myself astounded at how thorough your word is and that you that you can speak to every part of life and that you can give us practical advice on how to go through this life Lord we we want to ask that you will please help those of us that are married Lord to treat our husbands and wives right when I say right I mean the way that you say not the way we think. Lord, we've got so many adjustments that need to be made to ourselves, to our lives, to our marriages. And we can't do it without your light shining on it, Lord. Without you leading us. So please lead us in that. I want to pray, Lord, for those husbands or wives that are married to somebody that is not saved that is tough Lord it is really tough will you please help them to live the Christian life in front of their husband or wife the way that you set out for us in your word will you you please Lord remind us of this even if our husbands or wives are saved help us to treat them right because it's a wonderful gift that you gave us Lord and it's We just want this flower to bloom. (laughs) Lord, will you please be with us the rest of this day and give us opportunities to use what we've learned today, whether it it was now or in the Sunday school time, um, and help us to implement what you've taught us. We praise your name. and uh, Please bless the rest of the day and the fellowship to come. Amen. Amen. Thank you.